Well, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, like Jim said, I am uh, one of the pastors at North Bay Christ the King, all the way up in Birch Bay. Uh, we like to think it's the beach, so that's why I wore my sandals today. Um, but man, what flip-flops right there. Does this mean I need to stay in this box? This is going to be tough. I'm a pacer. But I, I want to tell you that um, even though this is my first time meeting you guys and your first time meeting me, um, I have been mindful of this church family. I have been in prayer for you uh, for months. Uh, David Lawler is one of my uh, dearest friends, and it is just such a privilege that he would have me come and just be part of what is truly a movement that God is doing here in Cedrawoli and in the valley. Amen. And so I just wanted to say thank you so much for that. I want you guys to know that your pastor, um, David, is a man who is humble. He is wise beyond his years because uh, he's younger than me, which is just weird. But he is the right guy. He is an old soul who just uh, he understands the heart of God. And he wants to seek it and pursue it. And that is reflects in his leadership. He's not arrogant. He epitomizes humility. Um, but there's a confidence there that is incredible. And I would follow him off a cliff uh, if he was leading me, but um, he's not. So i got to be with you this morning. If you guys have your Bibles, you could turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to get there in a minute. But I was trying to think about what I wanted to share today. And I know that uh, one of the big things that you guys emphasize here at Cedra Woolley Christ the King is community. Uh, is that true? You guys like community here? You like each other? We agree that we like to be together. Um, you guys are even sitting in almost a circle. So at CTK, they talk about moving from rows to circles. You guys are halfway there. That's fantastic. Um, but I, I was thinking about what, what is this, this idea of community and what does that look like on, on uh, an individual basis for each of us in our lives and how do we know that we're really living uh, a life that is full of purpose? And I was uh, thinking about one of the beautiful things that we share as Christ the King, even up in Birch Bay, almost to Canada, is this mission statement. This mission statement, it's incredibly long. Uh, and I would be impressed if anybody has it memorized. However, it is, I think, one of the most complete, holistic ingredients for what our purpose in life as the body of Christ, as the church, as light in a dark world uh, is to be. And it's this, is to create authentic Christian community that effectively reaches out in love, acceptance, and forgiveness uh, so that uh, people may know the joy of salvation, and a purposeful life of discipleship. That purposeful life of discipleship, what, what is that really talking about? And, and that is the goal. That, that is the goal for anyone who has trusted in Jesus, become a, a follower of Christ, received his, his redeeming grace and his mercy and his love. And, and our mission is to go make disciples. Our purpose we all share is actually pretty simple, um, and it's pretty clear throughout Scripture. We were created for one purpose, and that is to worship and glorify God with our lives. And through that, we lead others closer to Jesus as we live those lives. Leave others closer to Jesus 
as we live those lives. But here's the thing, that that journey of life, uh, at some point, we maybe weren't on that path. We weren't on that journey. Some here today might not be on that journey yourself yet, just saying, hey, I don't know about this Jesus guy, this faith thing. Uh, but nevertheless, you're here. Um, and if it was by accident, surprise. Um, but we're glad that we have been brought into relationship with God through Jesus. But here's the thing. We were created to be in relationship with each other. We weren't created to do this journey alone. We have to move from being in the mindset where relationships in our lives are just additional interactions as we go through the busyness of life and, and there's just additional to being intentional as we pursue relationships. Because that's what we see Jesus do. And again, I want you reflecting on this this morning, if you can. Uh, think back at, at some point in all of our lives, there was somebody, there was somebody who came alongside us and they entered the story. They entered your life. They entered the picture. Uh, maybe it was by accident. Uh, maybe it was by choice. Maybe you sought them out. Uh, or, or maybe they were incredibly intentional and they uh, were further down the road, further along this journey than maybe you were, and they came back. And they said, hey, why don't you walk with me for a little while? Why don't you walk with me? And they brought you into this path, walking closer to Jesus, learning more about him, learning more about who he created you to be. And, and I think as we think back on those people, we have to know they weren't put in our lives by accident. You know, uh, God and his sovereignty, uh, he... Uh, Put the right people in our lives at the right time. But here's the thing, if, we, if we're looking at this as a journey that we're on, it's a lot easier to travel alone sometimes. Do you agree? It's, 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 sometimes we prefer to travel with people, but if we have a mission, if our goal is to get somewhere and just accomplish it, uh, oftentimes it's a lot easier to do that alone, right? It's a little bit more convenient, it's a lot more efficient. You're not worried about other people uh, stumbling or dragging uh, or being dead weight or maybe their preferences, their desires, their opinions. And now you have to account for people's feelings. Oh. And I was reminded of this just the other day. I had to go uh, to the supermarket. Um, super, I've never called it a supermarket before. <laughs> Um, it's really super up there at the grocery store. I had to go to the supermarket, and I just had to go in and get a few items from the produce section. The, the, supermarket, by, <laughs> the supermarket, by and large, is really orderly, right? It has all this system of rows and aisles, and everything's a straight line, and you know how to navigate where you're going. And then there's the produce section. It's just chaos. There's no rows. It's just a labyrinth of fruit and vegetables and healthy stuff. And I just had to go in and get what I needed. But before I went to the store, I stopped off at home to make sure that I didn't forget anything. And my four-year-old son, Isaac, says, hey, dad, can I go with you? Can, can I come with you to the store? And in that moment, I thought, oh, my whole plan of how efficient and great this was going to be um, just went out the window. Because now I have to take care of a four-year-old uh, who's incredibly hyper. 
And so I look pleading, pleadingly at my wife, like, help me, bail me out. I'm doing it right now. And she's just like, I've been here all day. You take him. And so I take my son to the store, and now what happens is we're at the store, and I saw this picture after the fact. Because you take a four-year-old with all those bright colors and the lights, and because uh, it's a super supermarket, it has like the rain and thunder, and it's like, so he's running around eating grapes. I was like, no, we have to pay for those. And he's touching everything, and he's asking a million questions because he's so curious. It's all new. It's all interesting. He's like, hey, what's that? What does that taste like? Would mommy like that? Probably. And he's running everywhere. He's like, I need to get him in control. Anyone ever have to get their kids in control? And so I had this idea. I was like, you know what, Isaac, why don't you come and help daddy push the cart? You would think I just handed the kid the keys to a car. But I wouldn't do that because that'd be irresponsible. <laughs> a cart's just as bad. And so now, here's this four-year-old who can't see over the handle, and he's like <laughs> pushing the cart around, looking around at the other kids who are riding in the cart, but he has the power to push the cart. But because people can't see him, all they see is me, this guy doing the waddle, walking behind this cart. They don't know why, because he's in front of me and I can't walk and... And I was thinking, this is so complicated. But it was so purposeful. See, when we got back, and even in the car, hearing my four-year-old son talk about how exciting it was to go to the store with me, and, and the adventure that he had had, learning about new fruits and vegetables, and pushing the cart, and just how proud he was. And I realized I could have missed that whole moment I could have missed that whole experience had I been caught up in my own agenda, my own busyness, to let him go on that journey with me. But we see this a lot in our faith, don't we? We feel like, I, I, I don't want to let other people in. I don't want to let other people close, or I don't need anyone else. Or maybe if we're further down the road, we've been following Jesus for a bit, we feel like we have it together a little bit. We know more. We know how to behave. We know what big theological words maybe mean. We know how to read the Bible. We know what's right, what's wrong. We know how to look different than the world. And we have these expectations that everybody else should know them too. And then what happens is we find ourselves down this journey not walking with anybody. And we see all these people that we're just waiting on to come catch up. Say, hey, we're, we're here when you, when you meet us where we're at. And I was wondering if Jesus was a little bit more intentional than that. As he models this idea of discipleship, which is intentional relationship. Intentional relationship where you are walking with someone, modeling and leading them towards Christ-likeness. Being transformed into the image of Christ. Are we modeling that to people? Are we displaying that? So we see this incredible story. It's a glimpse in Luke chapter 24 of Jesus doing just this. We see Jesus modeling the necessary intentionality for discipleship to be effective, to have purpose realized. It says this in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. 
That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And Jesus asked them, What are you discussing so intently? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. So, so what's going on in, in this little glimpse of text, this little story? These guys are on a journey. They're going from Jerusalem, uh, where Jesus was just crucified, and they're walking back to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles away. And this guy Cleopas and his friend, they were followers of Jesus, and they are walking along, and they are just perplexed. They're bewildered. They don't have any idea what just happened. You see, Everything they had put their hope in, everything that they had trusted as they gave up so much to follow Jesus seemed to just disappear. They seemed to have lost all hope. They were confused. They didn't understand everything that they had been taught as little Jewish boys growing up to anticipate, to wait for, to expect, and and the glory that that was going to mean for their people was gone And they're in a a crisis of faith. Have you ever struggled with doubt? And and is this stuff really true? God, are you really present? Do you really have my best interests in mind? Did Jesus really die for all my sins? Even the really, really bad ones? Would he really forgive me? That sounds great for other people, but, but God, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in my closet. Have we ever wrestled with that? Have you ever found yourself just going, I'm not cut out for this? Maybe the journey just seems so difficult. And it's exhausting. But what do we see Jesus do? Jesus is incredibly intentional. In three ways. First thing he does, it says in verse 15. Jesus comes alongside. Jesus comes alongside Cleopas and his companion as they're walking down the road. What's, what I think is so cool about the, this part of the story, because we know the end. We have the 30,000 foot view. This is the part of the story where Jesus rose from the dead, which was a pretty incredible achievement. And this is also where he's like teleporting places and just showing up behind closed doors, just scaring people just for the fun of it. He's like, ha ha, hey guys, peace be with you, calm down. They're like, how can we? And and so this is the point where that is a reality for Jesus. Not it always was, but this is the point in the story where we know he's doing that. And, And how easy would it have been for him to go and just appear in front of them. And just appear in front of them and just wait for them to catch up to him. Just be standing there. Hey, fancy meeting you here. 
Now, that's not what we see Jesus do. We see some different behavior from him. We see him coming from behind these guys as they are going on their journey, and he comes, and he comes alongside them, and he begins walking with them. I hope you're still thinking back to those people that I asked you to be thinking of, that at some point in their, your life, your journey of faith, they, they came and they started walking alongside you. And maybe for some of us, there's people that you can think of how you came and started walking alongside them. And at first, you didn't show up with an agenda. You just showed up with interest and care and concern. Because that's what we see Jesus do second. Second thing he does is he shows up and he has interest and care for their reality. What's going on for them? He asks a question. He doesn't show up and, and say, hey, why are you getting this all wrong? He does that eventually if you're reading ahead. But he shows up and he engages where they're at. He engages with them in the midst of, of their reality. He doesn't wait for them or have the expectation for them to, to be somewhere else. See, and, and I, I see this in my own life in so many different relationships, but, but one that really stands out to me um, is, is, is the relationship I have with my father-in-law. His name's Ken. He looks like Santa Claus on a diet. He's back there. And... He didn't know I was going to share any of this, and I'm not doing it to win points because I'm already his favorite son-in-law. Um, and we call him the bishop. It's, our, it, it's a family joke. We call him the bishop, and, and the reason is because he, he was a pastor for a time, but then he he's had a career doing something completely different. But he is one of the most intentional people I've ever known in that he is willing to come alongside people where they're at. He did this for me. He did this for my brother-in-law, um, his, son, his other son-in-law, and then his two sons. A testament of this is all four of his sons are in, in full-time pastoral ministry right now. Not because he is, but because he came alongside. And I remember when I, I met my wife, Savannah, and we had uh, been talking to each other for uh, about three weeks, um, so I figured that it, we had reached that point in our courtship that I should ask for her hand, because we're traditional <laughs> like that, and, um, but Ken hadn't really had a chance to meet me, and so I call him up at 20 years old, you know, my, um, my life is put together, and I had it going on, and I was like, hey, Ken, uh, Eric Young here, and just wondering if I could take you out uh, to dinner, because I wanted to impress him, I was like, can, can I take you out to dinner, and uh, you can get to know me, and I just want you to, to know my intentions, and trying to be really traditional, so I was like, I wanted to impress him, I was like, hey, so can I take, yeah, so I'll, I'll meet you at Taco Bell, <laughs> Taco Bell, on Burlington Boulevard, like, I'll take you to Taco Bell, and he's like, great, let's do it, like three minutes later, I get a phone call back, and and Ken goes, hey, Eric, yeah, let's meet. I'm happy to do that, but uh, I'm going to invite my wife along. And uh, you know what? I really appreciate you being willing to take me out to Taco Bell. Uh, but we'll, dinner's on us. Um, and just, so just show up, and we're going to go together. And then I was like, all right. And so we show up, and I'm thinking, we're going to not go to Taco Bell. We're, we're, we might go to Red Robin. Like, and we pull into this place called Max Dale's. 
And my eyes It started somewhere. <laughs> and so I, we go in and sit down, and, and I'm sitting there with uh, Ken and his wife, Lori, and, and they are like, and I just wanted them to get to know me. I had no other agenda that night, uh, supposedly. And before we even have our waters, we sit down, we have menus, and Ken looks at me and goes, Eric, I'm about to spend a lot of money on this dinner. I want to enjoy it, and I'm sure you want to enjoy it. So is there something you want to ask me? <laughs> it's like, no. But here's what's so awesome about that moment. I will always look back at that meal as the time that I realized that God wasn't just giving me a father-in-law to, to resent or to try and be better than, but it was somebody who was going to come alongside me as I was learning to lead my wife learning to lead his firstborn that he was entrusting me with. And he didn't just say, hey, take her off my hands, thanks. He thought about it, but he continued to raise a bar and a standard for me, saying, so what you're telling me is, is you are going to be faithful to my little girl, and you are going to follow Jesus, and you are going to lead her better spiritually and lead her further spiritually than I could. That's what you're telling me. That's what you're asking permission to do. By this time, I'm under the table. He's like, oh, God, I think so. He's like, great. I'm happy to have you as, happy to have you as part of this family. And then that just began this relationship where he came alongside, and he didn't wait for me to show up and arrive. And, and what that did was as he walked with me and let me walk with him, I got to see his life. I got to see how he provided and led his family. I got to see how he pursued Jesus. It was the craziest thing. Like, not only was he full of wisdom, like, in the kitchen at the most random points, like, I'm in the freezer just like, man, where's all the food? And um, he's like, hey, Eric, you know, I was thinking, look around at all this stuff that I have. I just want you to know, and I want to encourage you, don't think I had any of it when I was your age. And so he gave me these little nuggets of wisdom. But then what he did was he modeled how to pursue Jesus and how to live like Jesus and how to pray. We'd be watching a movie or like a really intense football game, like really intense, like you don't leave the TV. And out of nowhere, Ken would just up and go walk away and like disappear for an hour. Where'd he go? Come back and I said, I go pray. I said, I go pray. Really? Like, we're all convinced he's just taking naps, but he's like, I just had to go pray. So he, he came alongside, and he showed interest and care in my life, just like Jesus does for Cleophas here. Think about the mess in the people's lives around you. Think about the mess in your life, the, the, the hard stuff along the journey, the bumps, the thorns. The stuff that you don't want other people to know, that you don't think you can overcome alone, but then God has brought other people to help either carry you or encourage you on or to show you how to get around. Have we seen people do this in our lives? Are we thankful for the people that have done this in our lives? But it takes intentionality. We have to move from being additional 
to viewing people as additional in our lives, in our schedules, in our busyness, to being intentional. So Jesus comes alongside. He shows interest and care in the midst of their crisis of faith. And then he does this. He redirects Cleopas to the truth that leads to hope and to himself. If we were to jump down a little bit and we were to see this interaction play out a little bit further in the Cleopas' response, because Jesus asks what, what's going on, and he goes on and he explains everything, like all of his confusion. He just unloads, like we expected. We follow this guy, Jesus. He was a great teacher. He was mighty in his good works, his miracles, his deeds. And we thought, we hoped, we hoped he was someone else. And he's discouraged. We see Jesus' response. Jesus is just listening. They're walking along the whole time. Just walking on this path. Jesus says, you foolish people. You find it hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would come and suffer these things before entering glory? Verse 27. Jesus doesn't stop there with the harsh rebuke or harsh criticism or correction. He, he doesn't just say, hey, you guys didn't get it and keep walking. There's people that aren't going to get it. Are we going to keep walking with them or are we going to go find someone else? There were people in our lives when we didn't get it. They called us out when we needed to be called out. But they kept walking with us. Because what happens is, is people come from behind and they walk alongside for a little bit. They, they earn the right through relationship that grows to, to actually take, take the lead out front. And that's what Jesus is doing is, here. Is he came from behind, came alongside. Now he's out front leading them. And he says this in verse 27, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and the prophets explaining from all the scriptures all the things concerning himself. He guides them and redirects them back to truth. And he continues to walk with them as they finish out this journey. What do we see happen? What's the result of this? What's the point? Is it worth it? What we see happen is this. The hope of Jesus is revealed. The hope of Jesus, the hope that is found in Jesus alone is revealed. We see in verse 30. As they sat down, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Because he's Jesus and he likes to mess with people. At that moment, he disappeared. So walking along with them, they didn't see it, but he pointed and directed them to the truth found in Scripture about himself. And then he was revealed through truth. That had he not walked on that journey, would they have ever heard? Would they have known? Second thing that happens, we see in their response, 
Cleopas and his friends says, and within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. Verse 35, it says that the two men from Emmaus arrived and they told their story. Are we on the path that is leading to a purposeful life of discipleship in that we will be characters in people's story? As we share our story, as we share our journey, our Are we vulnerable enough to show that we don't have it all figured out, that we don't have to posture? We don't have to posture with our religiosity, our terminology and our Christianese and our behaviors that look a certain way. Is that my time? And what we see happen is they continue on. I saw this in my own life. I just want to show a few quick pictures as I had a man, his name is Dan, he's now my boss. Like, he entered into my life when I was 15 years old, and he decided to walk with me in relationship uh, through high school when I was a punk. Like, I was dumb. And he continued to walk with me through the ups and downs of my faith and, and the mess of my life and all of my sin and then all of my family mess that was just terrible. Terrible. And when my heart was full of bitterness and resentment, he never enabled that or encouraged that. He always pointed me back to the forgiveness found in Jesus. And slowly, over years and years, he started to dig away and uproot. And God used him to uproot this root of bitterness that was just driving my life into misery. A few years later, I I became a youth pastor. Um, Didn't expect that. But I had the chance to invest in some guys. I got a call my first week on the job, and it was a mom who's like, hey, um, me and four of the parents had a meeting last night, and our sons uh, all got arrested last night, so their punishment is we're making them come to church. <laughs> I was like, okay. She's like, we need you to rehabilitate them. It's, I was like, okay. And so are these these four young men show up, and I start building relationship with them over pizza and dodgeball. And I started to walk with them through Scripture, through who Jesus was, through his forgiveness, through his plan and purpose for their life. And the young man next to me holding the water ball, his name's PJ. And PJ was a student. I got baptized. There's a picture here of him and his brother getting baptized. And he was the first person I ever got to baptize. And what was cool about that, because Dan invested in me, I got to invest in PJ. And now PJ is one of my leaders at at a youth ministry we we run up in Birch Bay that God is just doing ridiculous things at. And, And PJ is now leading a group of guys. We see PJ and his small group at this place called the trampoline zone, which should be the death zone. Um, It's just a heart attack waiting to happen. And PJ is now walking through these guys' lives with them. Walking them closer to Jesus. The young man in between me and PJ in this picture is named Zach. Maybe you heard in the news about a month ago, uh, there was a high school class that was walking down the street up in Ferndale. And a a man fell asleep at the wheel and and just plowed into a group of students. Two of them died and two of them were in the hospital with terrible injuries. 
See, Zach was walking right next to his best friend, Cole, who got hit first. See, PJ is a paramedic, and Zach wants to be so much like PJ. He's entered into the cadet program and has gone and got some paramedic training. And so in that moment, uh, Zach got brushed away by the car and by God's grace wasn't hit or hurt seriously. And his friend is sitting there and he had his choice to make and he sees these two young men that passed away and then his friend slipping in and out of consciousness and he's able to keep him awake because he had the training to do and he's able to pray with his friend and console his friend and comfort his friend which should should have been so empowering and encouraging for him that he he was able to do this but where is Zach today a month later he's still wrestling with I should have gone to someone else what if I had gone to someone else you know what's so so cool about this story that's far from over. Who called me? It wasn't a parent saying, hey, this happened for Zach and, and, and we need you here because you're the pastor. PJ calls me and says, hey man, there was an accident. I'm at Zach's house with him and his parents. He's pretty shaken up. Will you pray for me? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. He was there. And he's continuing to walk Zach through that. We're on this journey together. I want to invite the worship team forward as we wrap up today. And I wonder for us, can we move from being additional as we view people to being more intentional? See, they walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus it says in the beginning of this text, it was a seven-mile walk. I went out and checked, and for someone of my stature, it takes about 15 minutes to walk a mile. So seven of those, that's an hour and 45 minutes that he was present in their life, on their journey. We don't know if they stopped and got a bite to eat, or if they stopped because uh, their emotion was just so overwhelming, or what happened. But we see Jesus walk with them, seven miles. So for us, in our week, we all have 168 hours. All of us. That's what we all share and have in common. If we think of it in these terms, an hour and 45 minutes, are we able to intentionally invest 1% of our time? 1% of our time. Not just being present or existing, but being intentional in who we're encouraging, who we're challenging, who we're correcting, who we're pointing back to Jesus. I know some of you are thinking, well, Eric, we have to work. And maybe you're a workaholic like me, and you're working 50 hours a week, and you're a sleepaholic like my wife, so you're sleeping nine hours a night, and you're down to 55 discretionary hours to spend in your week. An hour and 45 minutes, that's 3%. 3% of your time that you get to choose what to do with. And there's kids and extracurricular activities and social lives. We'll just call that even 40 extra hours gone. 15 hours you're left with to do whatever you want. An hour and 45 minutes is 11% of that time. Does that put it in perspective? It's not much. It's not much. But that intentionality is what's required 
for us to fulfill our mission to create authentic Christian community that effectively reaches out to unchurched people in love, acceptance, and forgiveness so that they might know the joy of salvation and a purposeful life of discipleship. Cedra Woolley, Christ the King, your, your website says this. It says, who we are, this is the first thing that people see if they're looking to see who you are as a church. And I believe this, and it's reflected in what is happening in this ministry, in this community. It says this, you will find real people in real relationships that reach out. They don't just do outreach, they reach out with love and acceptance to all kinds of people. That's who you are. That's what you're about. That's what we all agree on is why we're here. It's not about buildings and facilities because we'd rather put our resources elsewhere, into people, into the community. Can we continue, can we continue to be intentional like that? We're going to close with this song that talks about surrender. Are we willing to surrender our busyness, our agendas, our, our own opinions? And, and what if we truly were people that believed? What if we were people that really believed the Jesus that we're following and walking towards was better than our busyness, than our preferences, than our fears and our anxieties? What if we believed that? Would we be leading people? for something really awesome.